0: I don't care if you crank a wrench for a living or you are an investment banker, you're gonna get the exact same treatment. The logic of that is I sleep very well at night knowing that we're doing the right thing. It's also really good business because our residents stay a lot longer than our peer buildings in that area.
1: Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational
0: wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host,
1: Socket Jane. Welcome back, my Great Two Wealth listeners. Today, we're going to be talking to Ed Matthews. He's a fellow syndicator, avid real estate multifamily, which is my favorite asset class. And you guys know about that because I've bored you to death about it. But we're going to hear it from Ed today.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah. So Ed, you're in Connecticut, correct? That is correct. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. So Ed, we usually start this program, this show, with a journey, with a story, right? And I'll give you some context behind that. The name of the show is Migrate to Wealth. Really the most important word there is not wealth, as appealing as it may sound. It's really the word migration, because which is your journey, anyone's journey into how they define wealth. And the way we define wealth is really holistic. Your mind, your health, your relationship, your finances, and your impact really five dimensions of calling yourself a complete human, right? Yeah. That's really how we're focusing on. So that's really, we would love to understand your journey sure. into wealth, your migration into wealth. How did that happen? What did the yeah. path look like? I know you can talk it for maybe five days won't be enough, but we're going to focus on a very small snippet of that, which is doing what you that. do right now.
0: So I started off as a uh, working in technology, working for a whole lot of startups on the West Coast.
1: Were you in and- the Valley?
0: When I was with Coupa, I was in San Mateo. And then I worked for Elance for a while, which is now Upwork. And that was in Mountain View. And yeah, so I was all over the place. But I lived on the East Coast and my office was on the West Coast. And so I, no, it doesn't. And so married, two daughters, and I was traveling 150 to 200 nights a year. And so I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad in 2008. It fundamentally changed. Yeah. My view in terms of being, you know, I was seeking my fortunes in the technology world and realized that yes, it is possible to build wealth there, but a more streamlined way to do it is actually to start my own business. And so after some hemming and hawing, I overcame the fear of actually pulling the trigger. It took me a while, but I bought our first multifamily in 2011 here in Connecticut. Awesome. And was uh, basically flip a couple of houses. I'd take the capital. I'd go buy another multi. I'd flip a couple of houses, take the capital, go buy a multi. And over the course of about seven years, that side hustle turned into, you know, a portfolio that allowed me to, that basically surpassed my annual income. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, I was free. So I left the last company I was with, which was DocuSign and started full time in uh, February of 2018. And so we've been. Doing the uh, multifamily originally, I was starting off with just myself and my capital, and realized that I'm not infinitely wealthy, so I needed to actually raise. And so, you know, we did friends and family, and you know, a lot of my colleagues from Silicon Valley had uh, had said, "Hey, we want to invest too." And I said, "Let me go break some things first. Let me turn yeah, this hustle into a business." And so that's what we've been doing over the last several years, and so far, so awesome,
1: good. Man. So why did you pick multifamily? You know, when you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he doesn't talk about multifamily at all, right? He talks about real estate and asset versus liability. So how did you find your way into multifamily?
0: So it came down to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? I mean, shelter is the baseline of what human beings need to be able to exist. So it started there. And I started looking at the various asset classes and how they performed. I mean, we had in 07080910 you know we had gone through in my lifetime the worst economic cycle since the depression and multifamily particularly C class family multifamily actually fared pretty well and mm-hmm. so that piqued my interest the other fact was that it was something that i could understand very quickly and learn how to operate very quickly and you know it was plentiful in the state that i live in here in Connecticut so those were the primary factors and then as I learned more about it, it transitioned from it's a nice side business, you know, cash flow-wise, to there's a possibility here of actually creating wealth and perhaps even generational wealth. That's when I really decided, you know, in kind of parallel of just being tired of, of living on the road, to be able to really start to create a portfolio that would not only take care of me and my family but also well beyond you know my days here on earth and yeah. you know that was something that was really important to me.
1: I like that. So, Before we go deeper let's actually sure. reflect on a few things that I do have one question for you. You didn't start and correct me if I'm wrong the 2008 journey when you picked up the purple book. What was the reason you picked it up?
0: It was given to me by a friend actually. Okay. And he said, you know, Ed this is going to change the way you think about your business life, and it did. And I then consumed. So I'm a you know former English major from my college days. So I'm a avid reader anyway. And then yeah. I got that book, and then I bought everything. Yeah. Right, Ken McElroy's book, of and the Roos' book, and everything that was purple I bought, and it's sitting in the shelf right over there. <laughs> so
1: so uh, the reason I asked that question was because it's going somewhere with that question. You did not pick up the purple book because you had an existential crisis of Correct. I don't want to do this or I'm looking for answers, the book came to you instead of you looking for the book, right? So when you now reflect back on that, in 2018, you sort of became financially free, right? Yeah. That your, your income from your passive assets became exceeded. Passive income from your assets exceeded your income True. that you have in your current job, whatever yep. they may be, right? So when that happened, how is that journey when you look back from 2008 in about 10 years, First of all, when you look back, does it seem it took longer? Does it seem it was way shorter than you'd expected? What are your thoughts on that? Because the reason I'm asking this question is because most people think that they have to work for 40, 30, 70 years before they can get to that point. And you proved it that you got there in 10 years. Yes, you had to do some flipping. You had to do a little bit of extra work beyond your day job, right? So it's not just, you didn't use the money from your day job only to do that. So right. help us understand, give us the context.
0: So for me, I would love to claim that I had this grand plan and it was a, you know, 30 page PowerPoint presentation that I gave to my wife and convinced her, you know, in yeah. 2008, this is going to be our path. And by 2018, we're going to be able to be free. None of that's true. Right. So, yeah. you know, for me, it was, I loved my job, right? I loved working for technology companies. I loved working with the customers that we dealt with. I love the, you know, the process of it. And, you know, I really enjoyed in that role. And so I never really thought that I would leave. And then I had two little girls who were amazing. And I realized that leaving on Sunday night and coming back Thursday night or Friday morning, it was going to be really hard for me to Have an impact in their lives, right? And so my plan changed, and technology and that career became a lot less important to me. And on the side, I had been doing the real estate thing because, you know, I was viewing it as retirement, right? So Mm -hmm. when I, you know, turned 65, I would have this, and of course, my wife and I could live off the annuity, and away we go. But 08 to 2012 actually presented a really amazing opportunity. I don't want to say once in a lifetime because I think another one's coming, but you know the fact is is that we were able to acquire a lot of property for you know relatively modest amount of money, and we were able to leverage it, and we were able to increase the value and increase the cash flow over the years, and we woke up one day and realized we're getting really close to. Yeah doubling up our income. And it was just coinciding with, you know, the conversations that we were having as a couple of, I've got to get off the road. I need to find a new job because it's impossible to have, you know, my oldest was about to become a teenager and, you know, it's impossible to have an impact on her life when she needs her dad, probably a lot from a courtyard Marriott somewhere in the Midwest. And so that was really important to me. And my wife, Patricia, who's my rock, you know, she had said, you're missing so much good stuff. And I didn't want to miss any more good stuff. So yeah. it kind of came together, but I can't say that it was a grand plan until we got serious about it. And then it was a plan, but
1: you know, I mean, it was uh, it is there, right? Something has to happen. I was telling somebody yesterday that there's um, I had a professor at Columbia who always used to say... Now, you know how people say that where there's a will, there's a way? Yes. Actually, it's the opposite. He used to always say, where there's a way, there's a will. If you can see a clear line of sight, your will's going right. to become so strong. Right. That it's going to happen. I think that's really what you're saying, that until then, you really thought that's a good thing to do. Let me just do it. It's a side money. You never saw that until you hit a point where this could actually change the whole trajectory, right? Yes. And then that will became stronger and you probably double down on your investments and stuff, right? Now you're at a point where you're, again, Maslow's hierarchy, the needs are done. Now it's really all about what more can you do and help others to do that. And that's really, I'm assuming that's a big reason of you starting your own syndication.
0: Absolutely. And so, you know, we were talking offline. I buy dilapidated buildings from landlords who really aren't that great at their jobs, right? So I'm a builder, like intellectually. That's why I enjoyed software. That's why I enjoyed consulting. I like to build things and I like to leave them better than I found them. And Mm -hmm. so this business scratched that itch for me creatively as well. And so, you know, what it allows us to do is, you know, we'll go in, we'll acquire a property, you know, first move day one is make it clean and safe, fix everything, make sure that everything is ready to go, upgrade the common areas so that the residents see change and they understand there's a new sheriff in town and we're actually going to care and serve them. And then they meet our customer service team, Probably day one and a half, where they start to realize, hopefully, that when something breaks or when they have a question, they get a phone call back immediately. And when something breaks, we're there same day, and we fix it. And then our team follows up to make sure that it's fixed. And you know, we serve our residents, and they're you know great, hardworking people, right? They are the lady who pours your coffee at the local diner. They're the gentleman who cranks a wrench to fix your car down the street, or. Checks you out at Walmart or Target at the cashier, at the register. And, you know, probably most of those people have more than one job, right? And so, you know, salt of the earth people. And so I don't care if you crank a wrench for a living or you are an investment banker, you're going to get the exact same treatment. And so the logic of that, first off, it's I sleep very well at night knowing that we're doing the right thing. It's also really good business because our residents stay a lot longer than our peers, the peer buildings in that area, right? So, you know, our goal is to average residency in Connecticut, I think is like 16 months, which means you're moving every year and a half, which is really hard. And with our residents, that number is edging up to about three and a half years, which for me, that's fantastic because turnover in our business, as you all know, is really expensive. And so if you can... Bring in a great resident, serve them well, have them stay for a really long time. Every year that goes by is another five hundred thousand, fifteen hundred dollars. You don't have to spend right. on that property, you know, to go in and paint and change the floors and do whatever you have to do. Right. It adds directly to the bottom line in terms of our NOI, which makes our buildings Absolutely. more valuable. And it certainly helps our cash flow. So
1: no, I love that. So Ed, let's talk about today's situation, right? So you kind of alluded towards that, that another time yeah. is coming. So yeah. there's a lot going on in the market right now. A lot of Indeed. unrest, a lot of unknowns, right? The capital market's right. in a turmoil right now. Yep. Nobody knows what's happening. So how are you making sense out of all the noise?
0: So I'm paying attention to a few specific things. I'm looking at Silicon Valley and them going out with something that certainly got my attention. But one of the things that I'm always looking for, and I listen to people like Jamie Dimon, for instance, who talks about the capitalization of the larger banks and the regional banks. And you know, this is not 2008. The banks are far stronger from a balance sheet perspective. So I worry less about that. Is there a regional bank problem? Probably. Seems like it. But... The other thing that I'm paying very close attention to, Moody's had a did a presentation a 2023 Outlook back, I think it was in December or January. And the person that was on the call said 23% of the adjustable rate mortgages that need to be refinanced in 2023 will not be refinanced because the buildings won't cash flow. They won't pass DSCR. Right. And so that tells me that. 23% of the buildings are about to go up for sale and probably at a pretty good discount. And so I'm paying attention to a handful of things. I'm, obviously, I'm paying attention to inventory and what that's doing. And it's still pretty light, relative historically speaking. But I'm also paying attention to things like price reductions and capitulations and sales that are closing for well below original ask. And I'm seeing a little bit of that in pockets. I can't say I see it universally. Mm-hmm. But in my slice of the world... I'm starting to see price drops. I'm starting to see days on market being accumulated. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that ask price is a lagging indicator when it comes to economic reality, right?
1: So Ed, you know, when you're looking at multifamily, are there specific kinds? Are you looking at a certain number of units? What are you looking at?
0: So I'm looking for class C, class B. Class C here in Connecticut, because I have a pretty big team to be able to address pretty much any issue that comes up with a building. So I'm looking for 10 to call it 50 units. So we keep them. And those are the properties that I tend to focus on here locally. We are just now starting to move out of our area. when I'm looking more towards B class, a little less maintenance, a little less capex, a little bit easier to organize a team around the buildings because it's more cosmetic rather than mechanical and structural. So we're looking in uh, North Carolina, Louisville area, but North Carolina, Fayetteville, Raleigh. Yeah, we're,
1: probably- if you come from North Carolina, you know where to find me, buddy. I'm in yeah. Raleigh, and we're always looking for deals here. So it'll be interesting to collaborate on something like that. I would love that. Absolutely, awesome. awesome. Yeah. So Ed, how do you see this eighteen months play out? Eighteen to twenty months, like you said, you know, there's a lot of things coming up for renewals, but at the same time capital raising is getting harder because of fear that people have. And I think it's an unestablished fear because that fear is coming out of the story that's being told on the main street, which is true and not true, depending upon who you listen to.
0: Yeah. I think it's overblown. Well, I mean the news is notorious for that, right? If it bleeds, it leads. Right. So they're selling bad news. And the more bad news, the better off for their viewership. Right? Yeah. So I take some of that with a grain of salt, but you know, I'm certainly paying attention to it. But I agree that raising capital is getting harder. So the way that we address that is patience for one thing. If this isn't a good time, that's fine. You know, there'll be other deals. The other thing is that, you know, we spread our net pretty wide. So I'm having lots of conversation. I'm not working with, you know, 15 or 20 people. I'm having lots of conversations and some people are ready. Some people are not. Some people are afraid. Some people are not. And the ones that are ready and they're purposefully, you know, the dry powder on the sidelines, those are the ones who are more likely to be ready. And then, you know, as we find projects, we try to, with an investor, you know, our job, your job and my job is to understand kind of where they are and where they're trying to go on their journey. And then, you know, as you find projects, if that project fits that path, then they get offered, you know, to play along. If not, then they don't. And, you know, I think the folks that we work with appreciate that. I'm okay with buying two or three deals a year, right? If they're the right.
1: If they're the right ones. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. So we buy slowly. We buy conservatively. I think the next 18 to 24 months has the potential to be bloodbath is the term that comes into my head mainly because I saw so many investors buying properties, you know, the base assumption that rents are always going to go up and cap rates are always going to, you know, compress. And it's just not the way the world works. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I mean, Houston, there was big foreclosure.
1: Seventy million. I mean, I know it's the guy, guy personally, Jake Egevoli.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you feel for them because I was actually paying, I was watching it happen on Twitter, you know, in terms of the communications that that group had with their investors and how hard they were trying to fix it. And they, you know, till midnight the night before they foreclosed, they were trying really hard to fix it but you know the yeah. problem is there's an economic reality and if a building won't cash flow it's too much risk and you know when you're talking about i mean even if it's a dollar let alone 200 plus million too much risk they're gonna take their chips back and move forward so right. it's uh, it's very sad because a lot of people lost a lot of money but i think there's a lot of that out there i think there's, there's a going lot
1: to come of- right as you said a lot of the bridge loans the arm loans are going to mature yeah and right. the base assumption was the property is going to be the syndicators are going to add so much value in the net mm-hmm. operating income that the value is going to increase, right? Yep. While that may be true in most some cases, most cases your debt has become you underwrote the red debt at three percent, four percent, two percent, not right. at eighty percent right? Yeah? And you are overleveraged, so it's just right. not going to work. The math doesn't work at that point. Which right. is, you know what I am pretty sure you are the same way. That's why I love multifamily. It's really the math. I mean, you can put your emotions into it and fall in love with the property, you're going to get screwed. It's really math. If the math doesn't work, don't buy it, period. Right. That's it. I met this gentleman. I
0: wrote an article about it on my blog, actually, a couple of years ago. I was meeting with this guy and, and I'm a passionate, high energy kind of person. And it was in the context of a flip that I was buying. And we struck up a conversation and for whatever reason, he either took pity on me or saw something in me and wanted to help. And He said, I'm going to tell you one thing. He said, I flipped over, I think it was a hundred houses at that point. You and I are not in the real estate business. We're in the arithmetic business. And I went, okay, educate me on that. And he said, I don't see hammers or I don't see wood and nails and steel. I see spreadsheets. And if it works, I buy it. If it doesn't, I don't. Simple. And it was such a clarifying moment for me that it snapped me back from, oh my God, I love this property, right? That dialogue ended the moment that gentleman told me that story. You have
1: to. Uh, And it's kind of like, I think everyone has been in that journey, right? I remember buying in my backyard, which wherever I was living at that time, started buying properties in Indiana, in Kansas City, Mm -hmm. off of spreadsheet, literally spreadsheet. Right. And I tell that story to a lot of folks that, it really depends upon when you know what you're looking at. You don't have to look at the property. No, I mean you need to have somebody there who you trust. But once they give you the numbers, once you've done it enough times, the spreadsheet will tell you a much better story than anything Correct. else.
0: Right? Yeah, I mean a, a lot of the offers, looking at that. A lot of the offers we make today, and we make offers on every building that comes across. We don't, you know, whether the ask price is ridiculous or not. We're putting in a bid, and right. you know the fact is is that we're going to buy a building on our Numbers rather than what you know. Someone who may be emotional about this and needs to get that money or would like you know is looking at the building as a lottery ticket of some sort. You know, I've had so many conversations with building owners that you know insist on a you know vintage 2021 price point. And my point is, you know, sir, I'm happy to buy it for the number you want, but you have to give me 2021 vintage terms. So (laughs) if you want to do seller financing and we can negotiate a 3% 3% interest payment over the course of 30 years, I am happy to do that deal. And in fact, I would sign today and almost everybody's like, yeah, I don't think that's good for yeah, me. That's I said, not I
1: that's not,
0: right. Yeah. Right. But it makes the point that I want to pay a fair price so that, you know, the owner gets what they need. I get what, you know, me and my investors need. And it's bought in such a way that there's an opportunity to grow the value of the business right. and grow cash flow, and then you know five years down the road we'll decide if we refi it and keep it or sell it off. Most of them we sell. Correct, correct,
1: correct. Well, Ed, this has been a delightful conversation. I continue speaking with. I'm not. It's a passion of mine, multifamily. I don't Me think too. it's ever going to change. Although I was starting diversifying outside of that too, but it's still going to be the bread and butter for what I do. So thank you again for your time. We're going to end up our show here. Two last questions. First question is, if you were to go back to your young self, 19, 20 years old, what is one insight you'll share with that person?
0: That I would have started. So I bought my first property when I was, let's see, 41. Mm -hmm. I would go back 20 years and tell that 22-year-old who just graduated from college to start buying immediately. Because my freedom at 19, let's see, so 2018, I was 48, 49. You know, I might have been in my late 30s. When I got to that point and I wouldn't have missed, you know, 10 years of my oldest daughter's parent teacher conferences and chorus concerts and all that other stuff. Right. 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 That is absolutely what I would tell them.
1: That hits home for me as well, man. Thank you for sharing that. Last question, Ed, what do you feel humanity should move towards?
0: Wow. That's a really profound question. I think that acceptance and tolerance is in pretty short supply these days. And I think that the more we accept everyone for who they are and what they bring to the table, value systems, character, all of that, I think the better off everyone would be instead of drawing lines between us, political lines, uh, whatever, religious lines, whatever. If we can just realize that we are all human beings and we're all dealing with something and we're all trying really hard to take care of the people we care about and whether you are born here like me or born elsewhere, whether you follow you know one political ideology or another, or you you're somewhere in the middle, or you pray to one uh, higher power or another, you know for me it doesn't matter. I had a professor in college, uh, Doctor Regan, and and he first day it was my first class in college. He came in and he took a world religion class. I was at a Catholic university, and he took the book that that was. We were supposed to all go by, and he said, "There's a bunch of lies in here, and I need to talk to you about it. And you know, thirty of us, brand spanking new freshmen, most of it, probably all of us, it was our first class, and I was terrified. Right? This was a you know a former Augustinian brother who had left the brotherhood to do whatever and came back to the school I was at and was teaching. He said, "If you take anything away from this class, this is what I want you to take." He said, "Everybody's right and everybody's wrong." And, you know, the fact is, is that if you look at the various historical documents, the Bible, the Quran, whatever, right, they all tell a very similar story. And he said, I have a theory about that. And that is that, or we are all praying to or following the same being, just different faces. Mm. And I thought, wow, well, that's really interesting. Yeah. And it kind of changed my view of the fact that, you know, just because I follow one value system doesn't make yeah. me right, you wrong, right?
1: I love that I, on that high note of unification because I believe in that. sometimes it gets harder to practice, and we all need reminders, right? So that Thanks doesn't too. make you perfect. It's always a reminder is needed. And that's what I love about this question, man, because it kind of gives you a perspective or reality check. And yeah. yes, money is important, but these reality checks are more important as well to make Indeed. sure we're living. We're living a good life that we're happy with. I agree. Ed, thank you for that, for sharing your My insights, partner. for sharing your time. Where can people find you, buddy?
0: Thanks. So if you are interested in me or any of the projects we're working on, you can check out our website at Clarkstreet.com, clarkst.com. You can also listen to us on our podcast, The Real Estate Underground, which can be found you know, on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to have you listen in.
1: I love that. We'll include in the show notes below for our listeners. Thank you again for your time. I appreciate it, buddy. Truly my pleasure. Good to see you.
0: If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One
1: way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.